Hello and welcome to Model View Conversation, America's premier tech education podcast. I'm Brian Gates. And I'm Ben Golke. And we are thrilled today to be joined by a third person, a guest, an illustrious graduate of the late lamented Ironyard program, Mr. Brian Heptonstall. Hi, Brian. Hey, everybody. How are you doing today? Doing great. By the way, we should uh, agree on how we're going to reference each other because two Brians out of three people, that's that's just asking for trouble. It gets a little crazy. Uh, I, you know, and I'll, I'll go with, yeah, I'll go with Bama. I'm completely fine with Bama. Uh, that's what I've been called my whole life. So. Sounds good. So we'd like to kind of start out by, uh, asking you a little bit about your background, kind of where, um, what were you doing before you got into tech and, and what was that like, you know, transitioning into a whole new, a whole new industry? So it was, um, it's been, yeah, it's been a wild ride for me. So, uh, about, uh, 2016, I guess, is when I ended up going into the iron yard. But before that, for uh, since I was 15 years old, uh, I'd been working in kitchens and had been uh, slaving away at the stove and just kind of living that dream, so to speak. Uh, I'd always wanted to create things. So, um, you know, that kind of led me into that. Um, to get into tech, I actually have to go back a little bit further because when I was much younger, uh, I was really into uh, computers and, and, uh, you know, I'm going to show my age, but, uh, Oregon trail was a, was a pioneering, uh, effort in my life to get me started in this uh, business. And, nice uh, yeah. And I was writing on the big floppy disks and, uh, creating a star that flashed like five times, you know, it was that kind of stuff that I did in grade school. So I'd always had that, uh, desire to, uh, to learn it and to, to do something with any kind of tech, but, uh, my upbringing was that uh, tech at that time was just kind of an afterthought. It was more of a game. It was more of a fun thing, not really a career. So um, I wanted to create, and being in kitchens, that's what I did when I was in high school, and it just kind of led to that. Um, so, yeah, fast forward you know, to getting a job with uh, Disney uh, when I was in Orlando and had been there for about four years, and some things happened uh, between uh, 2000. I'd say 14 and 2016 when I ended up walking into the iron yard that led me to this. And it was uh, one was that we actually moved up to Atlanta for a little while. And my wife took a job there and there were several guys that were developers that worked with her at a digital ad agency. And uh, we went to a party one night and I got to talking to one of them and he was like, you know, Hey, I know you, uh, you know, you have kind of a fascination with this stuff. He's like, if you ever want to learn, you know, I'll be more than happy to help. And it, at the time I was like, well, that's kind of, you know, it's not going to happen because I don't really have the time to do that working in kitchens and six, seven days a week, 14 hours a day, didn't have that time, but it kind of sowed that seed in my head. And, um, you know, fast forward to, to mid 2016 and, um, you know, we found out about the iron yard and there, there were, I think there were radio commercials or something at that time. And hey, our ads worked. Yeah, they did. Oh yeah. And the ads, the billboard ads and everything was working at that point. And my wife and I decided to take a look at it. And, uh, you know, at first the price was kind of, uh, was an issue because, you know, you're talking about, uh, three months of your life, uh, for me, especially not having a job, uh, for three months, yeah. of course, at the time I thought I was going to have a job and do this at the same time, but that didn't work out. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so price is kind of an issue, but, uh, my mother-in-law, believe it or not, stepped in and said, you know, I know you have the determination to do better in your life. She said, I know that you've always wanted to to do things like this. She said, you know, I'll give you this money 
if you want to do it. And so I, it literally went from, I think I walked in like in the middle of August, if I remember correctly. And I started all of this process about June or July. So from that, from that moment until walking into class, I went from, you know, working in kitchens for 20 years to thinking about doing this, to getting the money for it, to saving up money for three months because I knew I was going to have to have no job have for to live on. Yeah. Right. For three months. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of did this, you know, went into squirrel mode and just kind of grabbed everything I could and put it in my house and kept it uh, away from everybody. And yeah, that's what got me there. And, um, uh, you guys know, you know, three months, I mean, that was, you know, 10 weeks of, of, uh, intensive training, uh, you know, which I had no idea walking in because I know that several of the guys that were in my class had, uh, in fact, one of them had, had been uh, looking at the iron yard for over a year, if I remember right. And he, you know, kind of knew what he was getting into. And, and one of the other guys had a, a brother-in-law that had done this. Well, I'd never done any of it. Uh, walking in the first day, I only had about three days of knowledge for HTML, CSS, JavaScript, any of that. I knew nothing. So, um, it was it was wild. It was wild walking in and, and, and really just diving in head first and that's that's how I got into it. Um after that, you know, it was uh you know just trying to keep up. And I know that the, a lot of people get into these boot camps and they don't really they don't really know uh, you know, there's three months, there's six months, which ones do you really, really wanna to jump into? And um, you know, I at the time I thought three months, I need to get this thing in and out and learn as much as I can. Um, I think in hindsight, I probably would have gone in with a six month course if I could have found one, to be honest with you, um, for someone like me, but, uh, I did, I did get in there and learn a lot right off the bat. So it was a lot of fun. And when you say someone like you, what characteristics make you think that uh, six months would have worked better than three? Well, so I, you know, again, I'm, I'm 30, I was 38 when I walked into that class. And, uh, so I was by far the oldest person and, the last class I had taken, uh, other than things for kitchen, uh, kitchen work, like, you know, serve say certifications and things like that, uh, was in college. And that was, you know, you're talking about early two thousands. So there's a, you know, 10, 15 year window there where, uh, learning was not something I was used to doing. And, uh, for me, uh, you know, looking back in hindsight, had I had that time to sit down and learn, you know, HTML or CSS for a week or two weeks or three weeks before really jumping into something else as opposed to, I know we spent four days, if I remember right, <laughs> just on, H- on right. HTML. Yeah. And then, and then right into CSS and not on. Yeah. And so, um, you know, if I'd have had that, that time to kind of get back into the swing of things of learning, I think that would have helped me a whole lot more. Okay. And I think we found that in general with students that people who had been hobbyists at some level for a, a couple months to a year and kind of hit the ground running and people who were completely new to everything uh, had similar experiences to, to what you did, that it's just a, a tsunami of knowledge and it can easily sweep you away if you're not really tenacious about holding on. Yeah, I mean, it's not just it's not just programming, it's also like... Uh, you know, maybe like advanced computer proficiency skills. If you've used a computer before to do basic things, but you haven't done things like uh, work with the terminal and and install, you know, applications that are not just a matter of clicking a button, downloading it, and kind of 
following through a wizard, right? There, there's all, there's other skills that are not programming, but are still kind of more advanced computer skills that if you don't have experience at that, uh, that's just going to add to that mountain of things that, that you have to learn, especially in, in the bootcamp setting. It's in that, that concentrated time frame. Uh, to clarify, though, you, you said you were the, the oldest person by far. You were the oldest student by far. I was the oldest person by far, as I, I tend to be increasingly. True. And, and, but the funny thing was like for the first couple of weeks, I didn't know that. So I assumed that you were a lot younger than I was too. And you look it. So, uh, for anybody that has not seen your face, you look like you're 25 or 30. So, Oh, what a sweetheart. Yeah. I try. The avatar is timeless, the little cartoon. I'm still trying to get extra points in, uh, in class. So, you know, and then since, uh, graduation, it was obviously a, a, development focused um boot camp but then your career path has been sort of developer adjacent a little bit why don't you tell us about the the roles that you've had since you got out well so let me let me start by telling you the this pretty funny story and i don't even know if you've heard this or not but you know it took me almost a year to find a job uh between the time that i found that job and uh getting out of school you know, I did a lot of odd and end things just to kind of make ends meet, but I was always, always sitting at the computer at some point during the day, just kind of plugging away. Um, the reason that I ended up getting my first job uh, was because of Hurricane Irma. Uh, and, and it was, yeah, it was kind of a weird thing, but um, so I got a call, I was in Orlando and uh, originally from Alabama, if you guys can't hear the LA accent, the uh, lower Alabama accent. <laughs> Um, I actually got a phone call from a gentleman who, um, had heard about me before through some friends and said, you know, Hey, I've got a job that's, uh, really not, it's not a developer position, but it's something it would get you in the door. And and I knew I needed to be open to anything. So I interviewed for this job and had a phone interview the first time. And then hurricane Irma came through and they scheduled the second interview before Irma came through. But, you know, I remember sitting there at like, I think it was like 11 or 12 o'clock the night before or the or a day or two before the actual interview, watching the eye of Irma come over Orlando. And um, they it knocked out our power for a little while. It came back on and we lost our air conditioner. And uh, so I'm sitting here uh, two days later in an interview for a QA position in a for a job in Birmingham with a gentleman that turned out to be um, – he he was he was very uh, he's a very interesting person uh but he was ex military and we had to do a phone interview uh, a, a video interview he wanted to actually see me and put my name uh, my face with a name and um so the only place that I could actually do that was sitting in my bedroom and in my bedroom I had built a cooler sized or a cooler uh air conditioning I actually put ice in a cooler and then put a hole in one side and put a fan in it and blew out the air the other side. And he saw that and he was like, you know, what is that? And I said, well, that's my air conditioner because we, you know, we just went through a hurricane and, uh, he's like, Oh, tell me more about this. So I showed him, (laughs) you know, what it was. I said, you know, I took a styrofoam cooler and cut this hole out and added a pipe on one end, a fan on the other. I said, my wife wanted something to sleep with at night. So, you know, this is what we've got. And he told me, uh, several weeks later, he's like, you know, um, after I'd gotten to work, he said, you know, the only reason I really hired you off the bat was because I knew you were resourceful to be able to do something like that. Um, so my first job was with uh, a bank here in Birmingham, BBVA Compass. It's, they're one of the world's largest banks. Um, and they actually hired me, uh, not, uh, as you said, not as a developer, but in QA. And what they wanted now, me to do. What does that stand for? Uh, quality assurance for me. I mean, it, okay. there's 
so many different ways that it, uh, QA can be uh, misconstrued, I guess you could say. But um, I actually uh, came in with that company and I was working with basically the, that side of the company. They have only 5% of the accounts uh, worldwide in this one little uh, section of the company. But that 5% uh, owns about 98% of the money that comes through their bank on a daily basis. So they're the largest companies in the world that are coming through this one little part uh, of uh, the bank that I was working with. And they were building out this um, this phone app, so to speak, because it, they, they were trying to make it originally just a regular application, but they ended up making it mobile. And uh, it was basically this big juggernaut of a thing that had been going on for supposed to be three years, ended up being seven years. And it was in the process of being finalized when I walked in the door. And part of the bank's deal was that they wanted somebody or something that could test it uh, for them going forward uh, because apparently they had not tested it other than just manual testing uh, at that point. Uh, for the six or so years that I wasn't there. It was really strange, but they wanted me to come in and do the automated testing. So um, very first day I walk in and uh, my boss sits me down at my desk, uh, hands me a laptop and says, you know, have fun. <laughs> and welcome I, to the development world. Yeah, <laughs> correct. Uh, it was, it was very, uh, it was very crazy because the first uh four or five days, I, I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing and neither did they, because this was such a new thing, this automated testing, uh, that they didn't know what I was doing. And, uh, you know, because of who I am and because of the way that I'm able to get around and talk to people and get to know people, you know, I had to literally walk away from my desk, uh, for the first three or four days and just introduce myself to people and say, hi, I'm Brian. And, uh, you know, here's what I do for the bank. And, uh, you know, what do you do for, you know, what do you do for the bank? And, you know, kind of just get to know who they are and what they did. And, uh, yeah, it took about four or five days before I finally found the guy that was, you know, two floors below me that actually did the work that I did and could point me in the right direction. That is the worst onboarding experience on their end, I think, of any company I've ever heard of. And I can't, yeah. I can't think of anybody else who would be able to handle that situation better than you did by just going up to people. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brian. I work at the bank, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was very strange, but uh, it was it was actually a good learning experience because uh in that first four days, I made connections with people. I actually, I oh, didn't sure. know this until much later, but the vice president of the company came in for a talk with uh, the board of directors in Birmingham. And I, I like to go outside and, and walk around and get my steps. And so uh, I went outside like the third or fourth day and this gentleman's walking with me as we go out the door and I just start striking up a conversation, not knowing who of course he you is. Do. Uh -huh. And it's the vice president of the company. And uh, <laughs> he's he's just kind of chilling along with me, just kind of handling, you know, handling his stuff. And, um, you know, yeah. And then like about a week or two later, he's up on stage and they're doing this huge talk. And I'm like, holy <laughs> crap, what did I just do? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, that definitely was something that uh, I don't know that if if I hadn't have been the kind of person that I was, I don't know that I could have made it through the first week without doing that kind of stuff. I can imagine a lot of people getting in, especially the the sorts of people who tend to get into development, being in that situation and just sitting paralyzed at their desk, not speaking to a, a soul for a week, 
and not getting anything accomplished as a result and um, just being kind of drummed out pretty quickly. And uh, yeah, we actually ended up hiring another gentleman uh, about a month after I got there. And so it went from me not knowing anything about what I was doing and them not knowing anything about what I was doing to now training somebody about something that I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. So it, yeah, it went really quick for me. So, uh, you know, I, I went from zero to 60 really fast, uh, you know, after not being able to find a job for almost a year to now being completely underwater, uh, for the first month, uh, it was, it was definitely, uh, life changing would be the best way to put it. So aside from, from, uh, trying to just sort of seek out information from other people in the company to see what are you supposed to be doing. And I, I definitely agree that that's, that's not an optimal onboarding experience at all. And companies, if you're listening, you should learn from this experience and, and build something that, that actually helps people get onboarded. Um, but uh, in the absence of that, aside from talking to people, what other strategies do, did you employ? Like once you kind of had a basic idea of what you're supposed to be doing, did you... Um, what kind of plan did you create to 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 figure out like what tasks should I be comp- should I be completing? And I mean, if they really gave you nothing, then you didn't probably even have like a roadmap for what you're supposed to what, what you're supposed to be producing at the end and um and and how you were going to get there. So, like let's say in the first couple of months, what did you how did you kind of build your own plan since they didn't give you one? So. I kind of got lucky. My wife worked in tech in, in a certain respect. She was a product owner for a company. She was a project manager. She did that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, I would come home at night and, and my, my biggest uh, ally was my wife. And she was able to say, well, have you talked to the project manager? Have you talked to such and such? Have you done this? Have you done that? And yeah, I mean, it was the, like I said, the first couple of weeks, it was really just find that person that I was looking for uh, sooner or later and, and get the information I needed out of them. And after, after that, you know, first couple of weeks and kind of settling in and kind of knowing what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. Then it was just a matter of documentation. And, uh, I think that's kind of key in a position, especially when you're new at something is you take notes about notes. You don't just go in and you jot a few things down and, and you, you have a pen and paper. I know that's so archaic to some people, but you have that stuff sitting in front of you and you can't, the computer can't be turned off uh, or the, 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 the notepad can't be turned off. It's right there in front of you. You see your notes and you know what's going on. And for me, yeah, it was just literally, you know, I went from not knowing what I was doing uh, for the first couple of weeks and, and uh, trying to figure out what I was doing to document everything I could find, uh, names, uh, people that did certain things, uh, types of software that they were using for those things. Uh, and then from there, it was just go back to school, just start learning what you need to learn about those things. And, you know, I walked in uh, thinking I was going to, you know, be able to use the JavaScript uh, that I'd learned and, you know, maybe do some uh, jQuery or something like that. I, you know, there were things that I kind of had in my mind. But, uh, you know, by the end of the time that I was there, I was able to see and it's kind of like Spanish for a lot of people. You can see it and you can read it, but you can't speak it. For me, that was Java, and uh, we wrote uh, so we wrote everything in our automated testing in Java uh, on the back end of it, and on the front they used Gherkin syntax, and that's uh, for a lot of people they think it's a tasty pickle, but it's actually um, it's a way of using um, business driven development so that you can actually write out these things 
more of kind of an English way of saying it. Uh, there's a lot of given wins and thens, and that's how it's kind of set out. And you write your test cases out uh, as a product owner, and those test cases are basically from there just turned into code in Java. And uh, yeah, I mean, I went from, you know, oh, JavaScript and jQuery and React and CSS and HTML to, oh crap, Java. So yeah, I had to learn a lot of stuff and document it all as I went and make my own kind of job description up the whole time I was there. That's got to be awfully challenging to learn one one language and really learn the, the fundamentals of one language because there's just not time to do more in three months and then have your first job be in something that uh, marketing hype aside doesn't have a whole lot to do with the, the knowledge that you have. Java and JavaScript have... Uh, I've heard it described as like the the difference between cups and cupcakes. There's not or pans and pancakes even. There's not much overlap. Yeah, and it was uh it was a lot of uh, a lot of trial and error. I really just had to go through it and kind of um you it's kind of that moment where you have to realize there's certain things that I'm going to have to learn and there's certain things that I can just get by with. Uh Java was one of those things. I was able to just get by seeing it and understanding what it meant and not necessarily having to completely learn all of it and write it. Um, you know, more important things for me at the time were JIRA, learning what that was all about and learning what... What is that? So JIRA is a tracking software for um, any business that is uh, more than two people, really. I mean, you, you basically have this system where you track Anything that you need to track, uh, bug-wise, uh, enhancements, uh, and it's all set up in a, you know, it's kind of like a big story, goes down to a smaller story, goes down to a smaller story, goes down to this, goes down to that. So you have epics, and I had to learn what those were, and that's basically like your higher level of um, how your system is going to work or your application is going to work. And then from there, you build down into initiatives, and those initiatives are, um, you know, I'm going to make this page. Uh, uh, do this kind of thing whereas the epic is i'm going to create a page um and then from there you you track bugs you track enhancements you track any kind of things that you do with that uh with your product you track it through that system okay so it's kind of a, a multi-level to-do list of the the big picture of what you're working on then more detailed and more detailed and more detailed until you get to something really granular that someone can look at and say this is what I'm going to do for the next couple of hours. Yep. And, and it also just tracks that situation because there's, you know, there's a lot of times where um, in all three of the jobs that I've had where uh, you hand somebody something and they say, well, this is going to take a certain amount of time for me to do. And, you know, in that, in that software, you can tell it, you know, either through point system or hours based, however you want to do it, you know, this is going to take me X amount of time to finish. So, um, then they can start using those those different uh, pieces of of um, things that they're tracking to know. Well, you know, we had these this many developers spending this much this amount of time on something for this past week, and that's it's really just you know at some point you get to the tracking side of it, but it really is from creation to finalization. You're 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 tracking how you've created that product all the way through the things that you fixed into it and how it works. So. Uh, yeah, learning that was a was a big thing for me right off the bat, and being able to understand how that fell into my my world, 
was very key because, um, you know, I had to write most of my test cases in it and I had to learn to take those test cases and put them into the software that I used to, to automate the testing. And then from there I had to uh, convey that to the rest of the team who didn't understand what I was doing uh, and, and what it meant for them. So um, there was a lot of things that just had to be learned right there at the moment. And uh, I think my kitchen experience kind of helped lend, uh, lend me a little bit more um, time to, to catch up because, you know, in a kitchen setting, I'm, I'm really thinking on my toes at all times. Um, and in this kind of world, you really are thinking on your toes a lot in a situation, especially when you don't, don't know what you're doing and no one else really knows what you're doing and you're doing something <laughs> new. So um, it really helped me out in that situation. You mentioned a, a few vocabulary terms in there. We've had automated testing and then uh, test cases. And, and for the benefit of listeners who might not be familiar with QA and what the role of quality assurance is in a software enterprise, uh, why don't you describe a bit of what you learned about what that role is? Well, uh, you know, you asked me about this a couple of days ago uh, in, pre in preparation for this. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I definitely wanted to convey to people about QA is uh, QA is the the essence of the definition of insanity. Uh, <laughs> it really is. You're really doing the same thing over and over and over again in hoping that that outcome changes. Um I know that sounds kind of strange and kind of foreign because a lot of people don't think that's a good job, but really QA is you're really just, you want to go in and you want to do things a certain way and you want to be able to test and, and check things out, but you really have to have a system for doing that. There's always a method to that madness, even if it is sometimes madness that you're going back and checking the same thing a thousand times and it hasn't changed. You're waiting for that one time that you see it change and you can say, yes, I found this issue. So QA in a nutshell uh, for me was uh, really just learning how to uh, break things. You, you really are just going into somebody's um, website or somebody's uh, mobile app and you're saying, how can I break this? And, and, and you have to do it in ways that the normal user wouldn't be thinking of doing it. So, I mean, you're going in and you're breaking the username and the login screen and you're using, you're breaking the forgot password section. Um, QA is the guy that goes in and makes sure that everything works. And he's the guy that sniffs out those weird edge cases or cases that don't really happen that very often, but could happen and cause a problem. I'm the guy that goes in and sniffs those things out. So the QA is basically, um, yeah, I have to be kind of dumb about the product because I have to know, I don't want to know that much about it, uh, as some people call the happy path to uh, learning things. Um, I have to find the hard way to get to the correct uh, endpoint. So, yeah, I mean, QA is basically that guy that, that uh, sits, sits there all day and plays on uh, whatever product he's on and makes sure that it's, there's no way he can break it. Okay, so you just you have the website or the app open and you're clicking all the buttons and filling out all the forms and trying to figure out what combination will, will just bring the thing to its knees. Correct, and uh, it's not always just uh, buttons and clicks. It's, uh, you know, for instance, I found something uh, the other day where we had a hidden check mark. It's things that you don't even know exist. Uh, and that's kind of a 
kind of a hard thing to to grasp but i mean you really have to go in and and hover your mouse over stuff and you have to click backwards and forwards on a page a thousand times and you have to fill out information and leave it sitting there for an hour and come back and try to submit it uh you have to kind of come up with those weird things that people wouldn't normally do uh but they do happen you know you have that you kind of think about that mother that is trying to buy herself on Amazon and she puts stuff in a cart and leaves it on us on her on her uh desktop and walks away because her kids are screaming and comes back an hour and a half later and hits submit you know that's the test that I have to check for that most people don't see and uh yeah that's what QA is we find those things and it's the stuff it sounds like that the developers just never think about because we tend to assume happy path and people are going to fill out the forms the way we would fill out the forms the way the forms are meant to be filled out for crying out loud but that users may well uh, find themselves doing and and it's uh, you know oftentimes i have to joke about putting myself in my dad's position you know how would my dad react to this yeah. thing you know because uh-huh. uh, he's a lot older and he doesn't uh, he doesn't grasp phone apps very well or or he can't right. get to a web page without having something going on he'll still call me and ask me you know where did my where did my pictures go after I downloaded them? You know, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, developers really, they really are building that product. And, and you can't expect a developer to build something with the intention that they know everything behind that product, including everything that it could potentially touch uh, outside of that one little immediate area that they're working on. I mean, if they're building a uh, a, a section that has an input and they're adding new data, well, that new data is, yeah, if you think, oh, it's off by itself, it's kind of siloed in its own little place and there's nothing going on. But, uh, you know, what's to say that, uh, you know, six months down the road that that data doesn't get used for something else and all of a sudden it's breaking where you originally put it. And you can't, you know, a developer can't be expected to to know that stuff and they can't be expected to always be um a hundred percent because their, their line of work is I need to create this thing. I need to make sure that it works correctly and I need to make sure that it looks good for the customer. And, um, yeah, that's where we come in. And I think that's where our value lies is allowing that developer more time to create and implement those things without having to sit there and, and labor over that one thing that they created six months ago and come back to it every six months to make sure that it's correct. And then if that's the high-level picture of uh, the role that QA plays, and let's talk a bit about some of the nuts and bolts of it. You had mentioned uh, test cases and automated testing. Uh, that sounds like maybe you're you're having the computer do some of the interaction with the app instead of you doing it all the time. So, uh, so before we get to the automation, the test cases, basically those are things that you write out uh, as a um, person who's building this site or as a person interacting with a site, you build out things that say, um, given that uh, I am doing this thing to, to this website, what and I do this and I do this, what is going to happen? What's the result? And those are your test cases. You, you build out a library or, a, or, or for me, a spreadsheet uh, was what I did the first like two or three days at my new job. Uh, you build out these things and you say, um, as a user trying to log in, when I put my username in and my password in and I click enter, then I should be shown the home screen. Or if I uh, put my username in incorrectly and I add the correct password and hit enter, what happens then? And that you're basically just documenting 
the things that you need to test against in the future. So you're you're building up this large swath of, of tests and uh, every one of them has a reason for, for being there. So you, you pass things, you fail things, and there's pass fails. You, you, you do pass things because they fail, like incorrect passwords and things like that. So that's what your test cases are. The automated testing uh, that has, uh, has been really the center of my life uh, for the past several years is, yeah, I'm taking a, a product um, that uses a Selenium base, and that's, um, that's a lot of wizardry I don't know too much about other than it's Selenium, and it does this amazing thing. Um, but basically, you, you, build this, uh, you build this library up of commands, and you tell it that you're going to go to a certain website, that you're going to go click on this, this uh, button, you're going to enter this in, and when you're done, this is what it's going to show. And that that's the automated testing. You, you're, you're writing JavaScript code to tell uh, a browser to uh, go and do these things for you. And it can do it uh, behind the scenes. You don't have to see it. You don't have to, uh, it doesn't have to, you know, pop up on the screen. It can be done anywhere. And all you have to do is, you know, start that command and it, it, it runs through all of those um test cases that you put into this automated testing uh, and it does all that for you and it reports back and says, here's what, here's what happened. I went from A to B to C to D and it, it passed or oh, I got to B and, and uh, the screen wasn't there or the thing that you told me to look for didn't exist. So I failed. And that's, uh, that's what automated testing is. Okay. So it saves you the, the trouble and the time of going through and running through every single test case every time you want to you want to test it you can kind of write the test case once and then anytime you want to reproduce does the login still work the way i want it to or does the checkout process still work you can just kind of kick that process off and it'll run through a whole bunch of test cases and report back on whether things are the way they should be yeah and uh so just kind of an example of of what kind of uh immense power this thing has uh my second job was with a company that handles um websites for hospitals and doctors and large organizations that of that such. And uh, every month we did a deployment and every month they would have to go through and manually look at 37 different individual companies or users websites because they built these websites out in a CMS and these doctors offices and these hospitals basically had the same thing. I mean, it was, you know, it was basically the same skeleton just looked different for each one. And they would have to go and through CMS is I'm sorry, a content I, I management for every. Yeah, that's fine. Content management system. So it's a it's a you think WordPress, it's kind of that thing. And WordPress is where you can you write a blog or you do something and, and it's kind of built its own little website. and It's got its own little world. And uh, you don't really have to know how to, to handle HTML and CSS so much as it just does that for you. It's already built and there's, you know, different things you can plug in. Um, so, yeah, so this company did, uh, this 37 at the time, I think we're like, well, I say we're, they are at like 45 now, uh, by the time I left, uh, the, we got up to like 45 different sites and what they were having to do is once a month at five o'clock, they would start deployment, but at three o'clock, they would have to get out all the developers and all the QA guys together and they have to run through each website and then have to look at each button and this and that and the other. And it would take, you know, we had 15 people at one point doing all of that, oh, you know, 37 times to make sure that everything worked right. So on my first, uh, I guess my first week or month there, uh, it was about a month because it took uh, 
all 37, but I ended up automating every single one of those. And so all I had to do before deployment, now 30 minutes before deployment instead of two hours, was I just had to go to my command line and type in uh, a certain type of uh, of um, command, and it would just kick this thing off. And I could leave that going in the background of my computer, and I would never see it, but it would come back to me at the end of that 30 minutes or so, and I would have screenshots of every uh, page that I wanted. Um, it would tell me if it failed because a button didn't exist or a page didn't load. And then I could, you know, then go to that and see it. So I cut down what 15 people were doing in two hours to what nobody really was doing in <laughs> 30 minutes because it would just spit wow. this information out to me. So that's powerful. Yeah, it's it's really good. And they were very excited to um, to have someone that could do that because they they were looking for that and they didn't know quite what it did for them or what kind of value would add to the company. But uh, you know, after after doing that the first time, they're like, "What else can we automate?" So <laughs> it turned into, you know, let's automate as much as we can. Sure, that's terrific. It's amazing that in this sort of day and age, that there are still so many companies that exist that just aren't aware of the advantages of things like automated testing, and they don't understand what it can do for them and how it can improve the workflow and how it can allow them to catch things that you know, either would be difficult to catch by a human or even maybe impossible to catch by a human. It's it's pretty cool that you're able to bring that kind of knowledge and power to, to companies. And I'm sure it probably makes makes you feel good as a, de- as a developer to be able to bring, you know, that solution and have your, your employer be so impressed with that. And that was kind of the, the, you know, because up until then I was just the QA guy. But, uh, you know, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head without realizing it is that now I'm developing things and I was able to use that kind of as, Hey, you know, I'm writing JavaScript. I'm writing, I'm, I'm writing stuff against uh, this CSS and this HTML and I'm having to go in and understand what an X path is and how that works. And I'm doing all this stuff that, um, you know, a, a normal QA person manually testing stuff would never be able to do this kind of stuff. So it really did kind of, bring me full circle, uh, for that company. In fact, they ended up, uh, getting bought out, which was a whole different experience for someone that had never done this before. Uh, and when they got bought out, they didn't have a QA department in the company that bought them out. And so they were, they let everybody go in the company that was not, uh, a developer and that was QA except for me. And the reason they kept me was because they knew not only the automated side of it, but they knew and understood that I had a, a, a yearning, so to speak, to do more. And um, they came to me, you know, we got the news on like January 3rd of last year that they were bought out. And they, it was really quick that within like 30 minutes, uh, half the staff was like packed their stuff up and gone. It was that quick. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was, it was the, and, and I didn't know how that bad this brutal. was. I didn't know that it was that brutal of a, of a, a takeover because I'd never been through one. But, um, yeah, and they came to me and they said, you know, we want to keep you on and we want you to learn C Sharp and we want you to start developing more of our code because we see the automated side and we see that you have a, a, a drive and you're willing to learn things. And yeah, that that just taking that two-hour process and turning it into 30 minutes really changed my life. That's fantastic. Is that an initiative that you took on your own? I guess it must have been because it sounds like your employer didn't know that that was even possible. Well, they, they wanted to automate things and they were trying to do that, but they, you know, and that's kind of a thing that, uh, 
you know, a lot of people will get into a, a job and, and I'll, I'll go back to the kitchen thing. You know, I walked into kitchens where guys had been there 20 years and they were still doing the same things they did in the seventies. And I would walk in and, you know, kitchen, kitchen work is not really, you know, cutting edge. You're not getting some new trend that's coming through that has never been done before because it's food. Another good pun. Right. There, there are some cutting edges in the, yeah, I know kitchen few. things. But, uh, <laughs> they, uh, they literally will stay and do the same thing for 20 years. Whereas, you know, uh, I walk in and I'm like, well, why don't we try this? And, and it's something new. Well, that's what was going on with this was that I walked in and the, the lead developer, uh, was the most intelligent man I'd, I'd ever met. I mean, he knew every single part of this product. He knew multiple different languages. He knew all this stuff, but he had no idea what automated testing did and how it worked. So he, because he'd been in a company for so long that didn't do it, that they didn't really understand the value of it and understand what it did. So for me to walk in and go, Hey, uh, you know, I'm your automated testing guy and here's what we can do. Uh, yeah, they were, they were very impressed with the fact that I was saying, well, we can do this. We just have to figure out a way to do it. And, uh, you know, those first couple of weeks I was making promises. I didn't know I could keep, you know, screenshot <laughs> testing and, and all this stuff, but I'd seen it done. I knew uh -huh, it could be done uh -huh. and it was just a matter of learning it and getting it done. So, yeah, that's the kind of uh, thing I took on myself, and yeah, it paid dividends. And then I, I'm excited to get to, you've alluded to a couple times, your current role. So, yeah, I'm actually working with my old instructor from the Iron Yard, Mr. Yay. Brian Gates. So uh, that was uh, <laughs> it, it, the even more interesting part of it was that I was actually reaching out to you for advice uh, about the job um, that I was the about to get process, right? yeah. in the interview process for the job that you already had, uh, were working with that company. So it was very, it was a lot of fun to, to, to kind of say, you know, the, the master and the, the, uh, grasshopper are back together again, but, uh, <laughs> it was, it was definitely, uh, a full circle for me, uh, because, uh, here I was, you know, as green as could be when I first met you. And mm -hmm. I remember even you sitting with me and doing, I believe it was Ruby that we had the, the little sit down uh, interview with before I even started the school. And, uh, you know, here I am doing that. And then, you know, kind of the, the, the apex of all of this or the full circle, so to speak, was you reaching out to me like a, a week or two into the job saying, Hey, how does yeah. this work? And I'm like, uh, yeah, you know, and now I'm teaching you something. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, that was uh, very um, very exciting to finally be able to say that um, you know I'd always said I wanted to work with someone like you before uh, you know when we were in school and to finally be able to say yeah I'm working with the illustrious Brian Gates you know at my new job was pretty amazing. <laughs> I'm gonna put that phrase on my business card if I ever get a business card. <laughs> the illustrious Brian Gates. I'll take a percentage it, it of that was, one. <laughs> sure. It was uh, such a great surprise for me too that you had um, you had been in Orlando for a while, moved back to Alabama, I think, in early 2017. Uh, actually, no, late 2017 because the job was offered to me September. It was right after Hurricane. That's Irma. right after Irma. After Irma, but you had stayed involved in the Orlando Developers Slack organization. You would pop in once in a while, and especially if people were talking about testing and, and QA stuff, but. Uh, or iron yard stuff you'd uh, you'd throw your two cents in and I kind of thought that would be our relationship from now on because Orlando and Alabama that's uh, that's quite a hike and then all of a sudden you get hired for this 
company that has, I think, 90% remote employees, which is why we're able to be in different states and they have their headquarters in Boston. And then as soon as we were hired, they said, well, we're having our next all hands meeting together. So let's fly everybody uh, up to the city. And that was the last time I got to see you. And I guess the next time I get to see you, if you're uh, going up to this next one this week. Yeah. And I, and I don't know if you remember or not, but uh, my first day of work for that company was the first day of the office. Was, that's right. That's so right. So I walked and, in not <laughs> knowing, I knew zero people anything. and you were yeah. the only one I really knew. So when I walked in the door and saw you, it was like, Oh, th- oh, thank God. I've got somebody that I know. And I, I'm not going to be that awkward guy standing <laughs> off in the corner, you know, and people are going to be pointing and laughing. You would not be the awkward guy standing off in the corner. If I had not been there, you would have been uh, shaking hands with the CEO within 15 minutes and the two of you would be yeah. drinking buddies by the end of the day. Uh, you know, I've got the personality and I remember you even telling me, you know, because uh, I was really scared of my age walking into the Iron Yard and I'll never forget you telling me. You know, your personality is going to take you a long way. And, uh, you know, again, going back to that, what what could I tell my 35-year-old self that I didn't know now <laughs> or that I know now that I didn't know then? Uh, you know, I actually was discriminated a little bit because of my age. I know that's going to sound foreign to some people, but um, I'll never forget going into a Christmas party uh, in 2016, after getting out of the iron yard and sitting there talking to a guy that was two years younger than me, who had a huge beard and had the whole, uh, you know, wardrobe going for Christmas. Yeah. For Christmas. And, um, he ended up being one of the owners of a, a recruiting firm or staffing firm. And we talked for like 20 minutes and I finally said, Hey, you know, I just got out of the iron yard. I'm looking for a position. I don't have anything. And he's like, well, He's like, I, you know, and this was the typical thing I heard uh, without having a job was, well, we'll go find a job and then we'll talk. But then he kind of <laughs> went a little step further and said, you know, if I were you, I'd cut that beard. I would ch- I would get a different haircut and you need to change your wardrobe because you look old. And it was just kind of a, an eye opening experience. So, yeah, if I could go back in time, I'd tell, you know, younger Brian, hey, you know, clean yourself up and look more presentable uh, because uh, you're going to have to compete in a market with people that are just coming out of high school for all intents and purposes. I mean, some of these kids come out of the boot camps and the boot camps are that they didn't go to college. They went straight to a boot camp out of high school. So I've got to compete with those guys and I've got to look sharp and also be able to talk the talk and walk the walk. It was a little scary. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised. And you, you certainly, for those who don't have access to the video call, you've cleaned up nice. Yeah, so I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I finally got the haircut that he was asking for, and and yeah, I mean, I, 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 if anyone ever sees the, the pictures of me with the beard, they'll understand. I and I understood where he was coming from. I did. I looked. Uh, I, I took ZZ Top to to New Heights because it was <laughs> completely grayed and white, and, and I looked. I looked every bit of the caveman who's been in the Ozarks for sixty years. So. Uh, you know, being able to present yourself a little bit better that, like I said, in hindsight, if I'd have known that, you know, I would have, would have paid more attention to that when I was in the iron yard. And when I was making those initial, uh, interactions with people that I'd never met before. And, and had I realized that, you know, that didn't look that good and I needed to, to clean myself up and be more presentable, I would have gone back and fixed that. That's interesting. I wonder how much of that is a function of really looking for that initial role, because at some point in some developer circles, if you don't have the giant beard that looks like you've been living in the Ozarks for 60 years, you're kind of stand out as a weirdo. Yep. And the first guy that, that hired me, uh, 
here in Birmingham, John, I know he was, he was actually from my hometown, which is another, another kind of amazing huh. thing that, that happened during the interview process was that he lives, his house was 22 minutes from my old house. And it was, I mean, we were right down the road from each other, but he <laughs> was an old hippie. So he had this huge okay. beard and he always had this huge smile on his face and he wore, uh, he wore some of the most out there clothing for a man that was almost 70 years old. And it was just very eye opening to see someone like that interviewing me. But, um, yeah, I mean, he had his own farm. He had raising goats and doing the goat cheese and, <laughs> and, and interviewing me, you know, and it was just the good old boy from Alabama talking to another good old boy. And it was, it really, it was the mm -hmm. right place, the right time for me for that job. It's one of the more specific culture fit stories I think I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but you know, that's something that if, if you're looking to get into this world and you're you're going through a boot camp, you, you really do need to kind of look at yourself. You need to look in because you need to understand that uh, you're going to have to find things that that you didn't think you needed to have before, like that kind of culture fit with somebody for that first job because it may be that it takes you a while to get that job and it may be that you just completely strike lightning like I did you know having a hurricane come through your neighborhood building a cooler uh, uh air conditioning and then doing a phone interview with a guy from Alabama that is 22 minutes from your uh your home uh your um your original home and it's just yeah you've got to look for those things that can help you find those jobs and it's it's not always about JavaScript and jQuery and React. It's it's sometimes it's just, you know, uh, yeah, I know such and such from this place. And we grew up, you know, eating at the same restaurants or there's just so many things that you can that you can find common ground with somebody that, uh, you know, you're going to have to do that possibly with that first job. But I think the two common threads between the boot camp and that experience and every job you've had since are one, you're overwhelming tenacity that no matter what gets thrown at you, you might have that momentary deer in the headlights look, but then you say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to make something that works. And also your, uh, unstoppable willingness to just meet everybody who comes in front of you on equal terms. And it doesn't matter if they're the, you know, the checkout guy at super Rico's or the vice president of one of the largest banks in America. You just, hello, I'm Brian Heppenstall and, here's me and tell me about you. And that makes it so much easier to form those connections with people and find the common ground and, and really uh, discover whatever level of culture fit there is. Yeah. Be humble because uh, you never know who you're going to step in front of. And, uh, you know, I always used to joke with people about being the dumbest guy in the room because, uh, you know, I want to work somewhere where I am the dumbest person in the room. I want to learn more. And, and that's part of, you know, my drive was to learn more and to, to do bigger things. And, but yeah, you have to, you have to be able to put on those one-on-one -on -one relationships with people that, um, I think gets lost nowadays. And it's, I think it's just a generational thing where, you know, so many people are looking at their phones and not looking up and, and talking to people and making those, you know, those bonds as people, uh, and we're just using LinkedIn to get through and we're using Slack or we're using, whatever the, the, the tool of the day is, uh, yeah, you've got to step, you got to be able to, to get up and look at that person and say, hi, you know, here's who I am. Here's what I do. And, uh, you know, Hey, I'm willing to learn this. I'm willing to learn that. And 
they can put a, a face with a name and man, that's going to take you a long way if, uh, if you hit the right person. And that's a good point. It is not a guarantee of success with everybody because some people are just more withdrawn or more into their phones or whatever and not willing to, to join you in that kind of interaction. But sometimes people are, and when you find that, it's, uh, it's always a great experience. Yeah, it's not always bad. I mean, I, you know, I, I guess I'm just a little more old school because I am old school. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, there's going to be times where that, that's going to come into play and you're going to need to know that, you know, that scenario and be able to walk through that with ease. And, uh, you mentioned deer in the headlights, you know, never, never show the deer in the headlight look. If you can possibly stay away from that, if you can train yourself to not have that look, do whatever you can, because, uh, there were a lot of times that people would say things to me. Um, especially terminology that I had no idea about what they were saying. And, and I get it at work almost every day as it is because I'm still learning things. But, and of course, you know, I'm, I'm in a setting where I'm at home and they can't see me, but you know, at the offsite, they're going to say things and, and I'm not going to know what they're talking about. And I just have to keep looking at them like, yes, I understand what you're saying and I know what's going on and that's nothing. I disagree with that. Oh, I, I've, I stop them and say, what, what is going on? And as you know, at work, we have a Slack channel that's just called acronyms yep. and people are in there all the time all, and people who are senior level in whatever their discipline is and will say with MVP and CSS and just all of these three and four letter, the PCTE is one that's specific to our industry. And uh, I'm... Uh, 90% of the time grateful when someone posts something because 80% of the time I didn't even know that that acronym existed and the other 10% is an acronym that I'm unfamiliar with and only the last little sliver of thing is like, oh, I, I understand that reference. Oh, I finally get it. To split the difference between the two of you on, on your opinions on that, I think maybe what, what is the, the best advice, especially for juniors, is is to make sure that you have an open mind about things you don't understand. And and while I think showing vulnerability of I don't understand this or I need your help resolving, you know, an acronym or something is 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 admirable, you also don't want to look like uh you don't want to have kind of that scrunched up face where you're just like I don't know what you're talking about and I'm and I'm confused and and I'm also like not happy about that right you want to be you want to have a growth mindset and you want to have uh sort of you want to give people a sense that you are um while you may not know everything cuz nobody does right you're certainly very open and willing and happy and eager to learn new things and maybe that is the the best way to go about uh about that kind of thing so that people know they see they see your vulnerability, but they also recognize that they're that you're like you, Bama, right? That you're you're very willing to learn, and and that they can count on you to learn these new things, right? It's, it's I think something else that that people um, want to be able to see, especially in juniors, is is if you think about it for more than a couple of seconds, you're going to realize, yeah, of course they don't know everything because nobody does, and particularly as a junior, there's lots of things they don't know. Um, but I want to be able to maybe bring something new to a junior and have them say. I don't know what this is, but I'm going to figure it out like you did, Bama. And that's the difference between, a, I think, a junior that goes far and becomes a, you know, a, a, a mid-level and eventually a senior-level developer and someone who maybe doesn't make it as far because they're just not as, as basically as you are. They're not as tenacious to learn these new things. And, and, and I'll kind of backtrack on what I said there a little bit because what I, I guess what I'm kind of getting at is, uh, and like Brian said, there's a lot of things that we don't know that we just don't know. Uh, but you know, I, my biggest thing was that uh, if if somebody came to me and said, I need you to do 
this and I need this to be done tomorrow and use, you know, 18 acronyms. And, and I'm, you know, I, I'm not going to sweat what they're telling me and I'm not going to sweat visibly. I'm not going to let them see me sweat over what they're saying because all I know in the back of my mind is that, okay, I don't understand what he's saying, but I know that I need to do this. And that's when that starts kicking in. Okay. Who do I talk to about this? Because it may not be that person. It may be that I need to go to uh, my coworker and, and say, why did he tell me to do this? Or what does that mean? Or I've never done this before. Um, one of my favorite things to say on Slack is on it. Everyone, everyone always says, Hey, we need this done. And I just say on it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, I think people are going to kind of get sick of that after a while, but uh, you know, really, I'm not going to ask those questions. I'm on it. And that means I'm going to go find out what I need to find out. And I'm going to get those things done. If that means pulling you aside in a private channel and saying, Hey, what exactly is it you're looking for? Or, um, hey, I don't understand the directions for this. Um, that's where that that kind of resourcefulness for me comes from is that I'm not going to let them sweat. I'm not going to let them see me sweat them asking me to do those things. I'm going to I know that there's a list of things that I need to do and I know how to get there to do it. I just need to find out what it is I'm doing. I think that's a great that's a great way to go about it. Right. Is is just making sure that the the impression you're giving to your coworkers and your bosses and stuff is that you're someone that can be relied upon even when what they're asking you to do is something that that you don't know how to do and maybe they maybe they know that you don't know how to do that right like it yeah. doesn't matter you're still going to do the very best you can to tackle that task and get it done there's been so many times that they would ask me to do things that I didn't know and they knew I didn't know that and I I know that a lot of times that and and, and I'll do it you know when I get to be, you know, uh, up in the late of uh, the management uh, positions, there's times that you want to tell somebody to do something, you know, they can't do, but you want to see how they go about doing it. And mm -hmm. if they just say, I can't do that, then you've learned a whole lot about that person. You know, one of the things that I learned through one of my previous jobs outside of tech was you never say no. You just tell that person, I, I don't quite understand, or I don't get that. Or in my case, okay. And then you walk away and you say, how do I do that? And you find the person that does that. So, um, yeah, that's very valuable for somebody to uh, to learn is is the, the resourcefulness that it's going to take. And and that just means, you know, that they know that, you know, that they know, you know, you don't know this thing, <laughs> but you have to go and find it. And you can't let them see you sweat that because that's that's what they want. to. That's what they want to see is what kind of, of grace do you have under pressure? On that positive note, uh, let's wrap up the show. First, uh, thank you, Bama, so much for coming on the program and sharing your experience. It's uh, always a great story to hear. And I had, I did learn some things I hadn't heard before, so I'm grateful for that. And uh, for my co-host, Ben, I'm sure people would like to know more about our program, some of our new listeners tuning in for the very first time for the illustrious Brian Hebsenstahl interview. And for those people who'd like to know more about the show and interact with us more, where can they go? What can they do? All of our resources are available on our website at mvc.fm, where you can listen to all the past shows, learn how to subscribe. We're pretty much available anywhere podcasts are sold. So just look for Model View Conversation in your favorite podcast app and you should find us. If you, if you do use iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app to consume our podcast if you could go ahead and give us a rating and review that really helps us out and lastly if you want to uh, give us feedback or suggest new topics for shows we're available on twitter at mvc podcast thanks for listening we'll talk to you again soon and bama i will see you on thursday hey y'all guys have a good one thanks for having me on see you next time